many older media like newspapers, magazines, and network television, audiences have been shrinking dramatically in the wake of the internet and social media. But one legacy medium is still growing its audience, and that's public radio. In fact, last year, National Public Radio reported that its listeners topped 37 million, the largest number in NPR's 50-plus year history. Radio and its audience is the subject of this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. I'm Richard Campbell, Chair of Media Journalism and Film, and doing double duty as moderator today as Rosemary Pennington is away. I'm joined in the studio by our regular panelist, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department. Today's guest is Trip Eldridge. Trip is president and CEO of DMR Interactive, a leading international marketing consulting firm for media and entertainment. He also knows a lot about radio and ratings. And full disclosure, Trip and I are both uh, board members of Cincinnati Public Radio. Thanks so much for being here today, Trip. Thank you. Appreciate being here, yeah. gentlemen. So let me start with this. Uh, we first heard radio was dead in the 1950s when TV came along and the TV set replaced the radio set in, as the center of attention in our living rooms. So what's the deal with NPR's impressive growth here in the 21st century? Well, that's a great question. I would say that NPR is probably one of the best consumer brands in understanding its audience. They've spent a, a, a significant amount of time and resources in researching and understanding what it is that brings people to NPR. Why do they have such great, almost um, uncomparable loyalty to NPR? And what what is the future bringing for that audience? I think they've done an incredible job of really understanding their audience more than most consumer brands, mm -hmm. let alone radio. Well, how do they do that? How do they under how do they understand their their audience? What do they do to to get that insight? Well, they um, they focus a lot on listening to their community. They um, they spend uh, they for example they ha there's an entire Facebook group that helps them with one of their apps, gives them feedback for the apps. What do I like? What I don't like? What features would I like? There's an entire community called NPR Listens that you can opt into, or you used to be able to opt into um, uh, on a regular basis, and they would simply ask questions and get feedback. And then they do more uh, conventional or formalized research uh, where they're um, inviting people uh, to give their thoughts and opinions, attitudes uh, via the internet, uh, email, and um, online forums and things like that. And then they, they actually bring in groups and talk to them in person as well. So it's a significant amount of research. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, they, they said that people, the young people don't really start listening to NPR till they're 25. And I had this experience with my son who was 25 <laughs> and he said, have you ever heard of this person called Terry Gross? <laughs> there it is. So yeah, for 20 years I've been listening to her. So he had discovered public radio when he was 25. Does that mean you're 45, Richard? <laughs> Let's do the math. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to know is today there are so many, uh, there's so many channels and resources for young people, but NPR's managing to grow that audience. Public radio is growing that audience too. How are they doing that? Well, I think it, it just gets, with, with it the gets, groups you talked about. I think it does get back to understanding the audience and the listener, 
And that goes beyond just what do I like, what don't I like, but what's your life like? What are your mm-hmm. passion points? What are some of the areas in your life that are uh, areas that NPR can connect with? For example, along with being one of the the first uh, and and leading organizations with with uh, apps and that kind of uh, podcasting mm-hmm. and and the whole sort of non-traditional radio environment, they um, built an entire website called NPR Music because they discovered um, that one of the most important passion points of the NPR audience across the age spectrum, from the young people to older people, is music. Music is a mm-hmm. binding force for the NPR audience. Yeah. So this is a show about numbers, so I'm going to ask <laughs> you about a n- number here. So I was looking at some uh, some rating and share uh, numbers, uh, and the Cincinnati station that uh, carries NPR programming, WVXU, had a 3.6 Nielsen rating or share. I'm not sure what probably which share. it was in November, and that dropped to 3.4 in January. I want to know if that's a significant drop, uh, but first I want to know for our audience, what's the difference between a rating and a share? What exactly does that 3.6 and 3.4 mean? Sure. A rating point is the percentage of the population that's listening to that particular program. So it doesn't matter whether you have the radio on or not. Your kind of your divisor in that calculation is how many people are listening to this particular radio station at this moment compared to the entire population of mm-hmm. that market, Cincinnati, for example. Right. In your case, the 3.6 is called a share, and the share changes the divisor from population to number of people listening to the radio at that time. So it's kind of like, how big is the pie? So the share will always be a smaller number, right? The share will, the share will always be a larger number because or a larger it's, number, it's a right. percentage That's of right. the people using radio and there are uh, so what you're looking at there is there's about an average between 10 and 20% of the population is using radio at any given time in Cincinnati. And then within that population that's listening to the radio, how many are listening to WVXU? So 3.6 says of the people listening to radio, 3.6% are listening to WVXU. Mm-hmm. So, so does listening to radio entail also streaming Mm-hmm. Does this inta- I mean, is this all forms by which you might be interacting with this? And is it all? Is this also synchronous? You know, this is at this time for this station's programming. Unlike TV, it is synchronous. Radio is only at that time. There is no sort of catch-up measurement like we find with television. But it does not include podcasting. So, the uh, if the station streams, as well as it's it's over the air, it's tra- terrestrial transmission is considered the same um, real-time number that gets rated. So another number, um, I, at the top of the program, I said NPR had an audience of 37 million. Is that a daily average? Um, I believe that is a weekly. A week, so 37 million, that sounds right. Yeah, so that the way we would express that number, assuming that we're correct about the weekly, is 37 million people listen to NPR for at least five minutes at least once during the week. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today is radio and ratings. Our guest is Trip Eldridge, president and CEO of DMR Interactive. Let me ask about 
public radio's future. We talked about young people and this audience and, you know, we, we I, I know as somebody who studies media history, we've ac- actually never lost a mass medium. Um, maybe the closest was the phonograph industry and, <laughs> and during the Depression. <laughs> but media have a way of adapting. So um, can you sort of project out what you think is going to happen with radio? Like I listen to radio less now and listen to Pandora or Spotify more when I'm in a car. But, you know, my, my other passion is public radio. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think in general, radio has a, a very secure place in the media landscape. I think um, because of its uh, personal and local nature, um, very few media can kind of have that, fill that kind of um, that kind of gap. But also, um, you know, people really rely on radio as a, as a companion. Um, it's it's very much of a friend to them. It it fills them in on, on ideas. It gives them entertainment. It connects to them. And remember, stations tend to be very because there are so many of them. You tend to have this sort of unique personality that are. A, attracting listeners who like that kind of personality, primarily because of the music, but not always. Sometimes it's, for example, with NPR stations, it's it's the ideological focus, it's the comprehensiveness of the news, it's the local news, mm-hmm. it's the local community connection. Uh, so I think that's very secure. And if you look at the, at the, uh, at the information that's presented right now by Nielsen, uh, radio, terrestrial, over-the-air radio, dwarfs by a factor of millions any kind of Pandora streaming mm-hmm. listening. I mean, you know, millions of minutes more is used uh, for terrestrial radio than Pandora or, or any of the streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, radio is very much secure. It doesn't feel like that oftentimes because, right. you know, we're experimenting, we're listening here and there. But if you look at the actual data, radio is, uh, is strong and in some cases, like with NPR, growing even stronger. So mm-hmm. I think that future continues to to be solid with that. It's just one of those things that people need. I'd like to come back to the, these, this idea of rating points and shares. Sure. You know, you, you talked about how the denominators differ in terms of definition. I'm just curious, how do you, how do you even get the information on the numerator and the denominators here? Uh, that's, that's supplied primarily by Nielsen, and um, that information is gathered methodologically through uh, what they call portable people meters. And okay. a portable people meter is a pager-like looking device that's carried, you know, on your person somewhere, in your purse, uh, on your belt. Um, that technology obviously mm. is continuing to evolve because you don't see too many pagers anymore, and we all carry cell phones. But it's still done as an independent device right now. It's uh, put into a cradle at night, and then uh, that data is pulled back up to Nielsen every night. So you, as a Nielsen family for radio, keep these meters up to, I think, 10 per household. Most households are two or three. Um, But that information then is stored and aggregated and reported on in either share or rating point through Nielsen. So they determine how many people are listening at at a given moment. And how how do they decide who gets their, uh, their, their people meters? Oh, that's a great question. It's um, what they would call a random sample. So let's take it to the stats world. They um, they randomly call people at home or 
because that's harder and harder. Yeah. They'll send mail, uh, a, a direct mail piece that invites your household has been selected randomly okay. to participate. And, of course, you may not have a landline, so you have to call them back using your mobile phone and be part of that, um, be, well, at least uh, be potentially part of that uh, research panel at that point. There's a series of steps you have to go through after that to get into the uh, panel. But there are very few households that have that luck of being selected randomly. For example, in Cincinnati, I think there are a total of somewhere around 1,700 uh, meters walking around mm. in this, what, five-county metro market. Now, I'm, I'm curious, as you look at the evolving markets, you know, what's is, is commercial radio struggling, you know, given that you've, you've said that, that public radio is increasing, but what's, what's happening with commercial radio, and, and is it doing as well? Well, if you look at the overall, you know, sort of usage of radio, it, it's primarily focused, the, the main driver of radio listening are full-time employed people, people who commute to work outside of the home. Um, so that's, and that's a very big population and a very important population, and they tend to be very habitual. So uh, that's why radio listening is relatively stable. Uh, the biggest driver of radio listening is age. The younger you are, the less you listen. This has always been the case, mm -hmm. always. You know why? You have less access to radio. You're at school. When you're at school, you have less access to radio. It's always been that way. If you look at the younger you are, the less radio consumption you have. Even with teens at home um, in the old days, they still did not drive much radio listening. Stations that were to totally teen-focused never did very well because teens just didn't have a lot of kind of disposable listening available. It just wasn't available. And as you get older, you tend to have more of that time primarily because you work outside the home full-time. So in the old days, and I, I imagine this is still true, they used to make a distinction in radio. They talked about drive time. Mm -hmm. In television, we talk about prime time. Uh -huh. So those, those hours of the day when most listeners, use, it's usually in the morning going to work or going to school and in the right. afternoon coming home. Is that still true today? Still true today. The change in methodology from the paper diary, the one-week paper diary, to now the, the long-term multiple weeks and months meters um, changed a little bit of that distribution in morning and afternoon, but primarily you see that same sort of cyclicality that you go from uh, very light radio listening to very heavy in the morning, even heavier during the office or the workday, and then strong again, kind of blips up again in the afternoon and then drops down to the evening, which was a similar pattern you saw in the other methodologies. Which doesn't surprise you then in terms of the pattern of the commercial breaks that you have yes. in terms of the, the day's listening. Yes. Even within an hour, you have kind of a seasonality, which is why commercial breaks tend to focus in the second half of the hour. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We tend to be more forgiving as listeners when the commercials are later in the hour, interestingly. Well, it doesn't su surprise me completely to hear that um, – that public radio has been relatively stable, in, in part because if, if you're giving, if you're donating, you're kind of supporting the the, the programming sure. for for all the programs that are occurring in that day. Whereas the the commercial entities are having to sell time, you know, they're having to, to, to they have to make the case that people of this that that would be supportive, that would be that right. would, are listening, and hence you want to help us support them. So I, I I would think that it would get harder and harder to justify that. 
for yeah. for some of the the commercial stations. Yeah, it, I mean that's probably the biggest challenge that they've faced. First of all, there are so many commercial stations. You have a lot of pricing, you know, uh, pressure downward because so many people offer options for advertisers. Uh, public radio um, tends to be a little bit more of a unique sort of offering so they can command a little bit more higher price however you're limited in what you can what you can produce and air on a public radio station as an advertiser so you know there's a bit of a trade-off i can't have my direct commercials on that as well so that allows me sometimes to kind of offset that You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today is radio and ratings. Our guest today is Trip Eldridge, uh, president and CEO of DMR Interactive. So earlier, uh, to take it back to numbers, uh, one of the things that we, we even started this podcast was to help particularly our journalism students, uh, tell better stories about numbers and statistics. So one of the things I'd like you to address is uh, problems that you see when numbers are reported in news stories. So, for instance, in uh, those earlier numbers where I suggested the share for WVXU went from 3.6 to 3.4 over a three-month period, is that significant? Uh, if you would make that like the lead topic. Ratings plunge at <laughs> WVXU as your as your title. So that would be just sort of one example, the significance of numbers. But maybe you can think of some others that sort of bug you, uh, sure, when you see them in journalism. Well, it's it's a it's a tough um, it's a tough understanding because first of all, because of the fragmentation of radio, there's so many radio choices right now mm-hmm. um, that the number one station in most markets across the country. Um, 90% of people don't listen to it. Just to show you kind of, so, you know, if you have a 10 share, um, you are high-fiving in the hall. It's records, Mm -hmm. even with that. So really most people, uh, the vast majority don't don't listen to the number one station in a market. So what you have is this, what we call share compression. So there's very little difference between the number one and number five station. Mm -hmm. And that gets into margin of error. So the margin of error of the study, depending on what you're looking at, what time period you're looking at, you know, determines whatever that sample size is. And as you know, sample size and margin of error uh, go together. So the smaller the sample size, the greater the margin of error. And so depending on what you're looking at, that margin of error may be bigger than the differences of the station's uh, shares. And in the case of, for example, WVXU, going from a 3.6 to a 3.4 is well within the margin of error of that study, even using the new technology of these meters, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the available sample at that at any given moment right. overall. So I would say, you know, even saying that WVXU went down is could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to focus on the midpoint of that margin of error and right. think that it's a precise number. Right. And so that understanding of precision versus mar- confidence interval is not well understood. But I, I bet the people that are selling ads for commercial stations are, are uh, waiting with, with just mm-hmm. anxiously for the share information to come out. Yes. Well, Do, yeah, because I assume that, that a lot of the price points are going to be related to share. Well, most, most of the, um, the, the currency of ratings revolves around the rating point 
and you tend to have a little bit more stability because those rating points are so tiny. Uh, you know, a 0.5 rating. Okay. You rarely see somebody, even though you've got the precision, more precision because of the uh, share denominator, you've got more um, variability in that. Um, when it comes to the rating point, yes, they'd like to see. You could go up from a 3.4 to a 3.8, and it would still look like a 0.4 rating point. And so that makes so that makes that. the salespeople upset. Like, <laughs> we've got we went up, uh, not not enough to go over that threshold. This is talking about the relationship between uh, commercial radio and non-commercial radio, but um, in radio history, when radio had to overcome television coming in and stealing its advertisers, stealing its audience, they started specializing. They created formats. Mm-hmm. So we had the top 40 format. I think today we call that contemporary hit radio. I think you pointed out, interestingly, how we, you know, there may be 50 stations you can hear in a market like Cincinnati. And, and uh, even, even the early car radios were set up. So there were five buttons because mm-hmm. most people only listen to five stations. Right. That's, that's what their capacity. Um, do you see do you see this kind of format radio because there's like 30 different kind of formats oh, uh, huge <laughs> if somebody if somebody wants to come in and buy a station and it's struggling you know what would you recommend in a market like Cincinnati to a com- somebody that's a uh, wants to get into commercial radio what's going to work today well that's a million dollar <laughs> question um, or is something currently working pretty well that you that you can point to I think that um, WVXU, for example, the news, the news and the news talk format that's um, you know has the service of really being a community connector mm-hmm. is a, a really valuable, hard to duplicate mm-hmm. sort of idea. That's one of the challenges of radio is you've got somebody can go in and with the exact same playlist make you irrelevant or at least uh, on also ran. And that's uh, yeah, that's one of the things that as you look at any kind of format, mm-hmm. you've got to think about, you know, what is it that makes me unique? And oftentimes that uniqueness can be expressed off the air. And that's part of what we do with radio stations is we help them develop kind of a, their off-air brand mm-hmm. and that connection with the audience, understanding the audience, what are their, what are the listeners' passion points, what we call the the first preference listeners, which I can talk about how who that is, um, and we really start to connect to those people, identify who they are, what's important to them, and try to bring the station in a different way, more of a personal way to them, in addition to the over the air as well. Right. What do you think is going to happen with satellite radio? I mean, I remember, um, you know, you you buy a new car and they give it to you for three months, yeah. and then after three months, you're not going to pay. You know, I can I can get all the music I want from Pandora, yeah. Spotify, and I can get a commercial free fairly cheap. Is this going to be just driven by stars like Howard Stern? Is, is that what's going to I think we've seen that primarily. Uh, you know, it's a highly subsidized business, right? They're paying the car companies to provide uh, that to you as a consumer. You get yeah. it free or free for a long time. There's, you know, they've they've struggled with retention, um, and, and most people know that if you're if you're if you want satellite radio, hold out for a couple months, and mm-hmm. they will give you an almost free deal because mm-hmm. they need subscribers. So I think I think it has its its value and it has its its niche out there, but it's nowhere near the power of uh, of uh, radio, local radio that we mm-hmm. know. So 
those are, those are some of the things we found over and, and similar really right now to most of the other uh, uh, online alternatives. Yeah. You know, what, you talked about kind of the some of the things that are in this business that you might work on do, doing, you know, uh, working to understand the audience, working to develop off-air brands. What are some of the skills that are needed to, if someone was interested in working in this in this space? Well, you know, I, I think um, we're really at the early stages of it with data, but radio is now starting to really understand the value of, of knowing its audience in a way um, that gives them insight into the data that that essentially gets can get generated with that audience. You know, these are people that are listeners to this station that also buy these products. That information is now being able to uh, be combined in a way that makes um, makes it a really valuable tool for advertisers in a way that goes beyond just running commercials on the air. Really what an advertiser is buying is uh, when they buy a radio station, if they're doing it correctly, they're buying this first preference audience, this really powerful audience, which is a segment of their total audience in a week Mm -hmm. like we talked about. But it's really people who are you know, passionately connected to this radio brand, to WVXU, for Mm -hmm. example, who would go to the ends of the earth for not just the station, but those underwriters or advertisers who say, hey, we've got a great deal for you. There's a, a there's a, a literal connection with that audience. So who's the first preference audience for our, our local public radio station? Well, the first preference audience, uh, just to give you a quick overview, is most people listen to five to seven radio stations in the course of a week. You tap around your dial in your car, like you mm-hmm. said, with your radio dial or your presets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you tend to listen to one primarily. And that may be because that's your favorite one. It usually is. But it's mm-hmm. not always. Sometimes you're forced at work or whatever, um, or the kids mm-hmm. um, or whatever. So, but, but you definitely, almost everyone has a first preference station. We call it a P1 station. That P1 station gets the majority of your listening. Like you may have four other stations, but that one station gets uh, a vast majority of your listening. So we now know that those are the people that are the driving the overall ratings of a station. So if you look at a first preference, that's only about 10 to 20 percent of the audience, of the total audience, but it drives somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the total listening for that station. So it's very asymmetric. So you know something about the demographics of that group. I mean, Absolutely. You know, so, 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 and you know where they live. So if you, if you were to characterize that for our local station, what are some of the, the demographics of a typical public radio station listener? Uh, I would say on average they're uh, somewhere between uh, 35 and 55 years old. Now, there are some quite a bit younger like your son at 25 when he mm-hmm. discovered – his favorite personality, <laughs> and then there are some that are older too. But the you know kind of the um, the bell curve is in that twenty five or thirty five to fifty five. Uh, they tend to be a, a mix of male and female almost perfectly, uh, and they tend to be college educated, um, and they um, they typically um, you know have a household income that's above average. So it's a very you know it's a very affluent audience and a very um, again it's not most stations have a tighter um, you know, sort of core, you know, right. it's 45 to 55 or uh, okay. 25 to 34 or something like that. Whereas, whereas WVXU and public radio in general has a little bit broader, uh, country radio, oddly enough, also has a very, a very broad age range as well. So there are a couple of formats like that. Is, is it still true, um, 
you know, why talk radio has the biggest, tends to have the biggest audience overall today, I think when you travel in a car in the old days, all the default station was always a country radio oh, station. Yeah. You'd go through small towns and you'd have to listen to country radio. Is that still the case today? I in believe small it is. Communities? I that, believe that's... country radio is kind of America's out there rural leader. Very, Very much interesting. So. Yeah. Well, what? okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I have to confess, I enjoy it as well. Uh, you know, so me too. <clears throat> so this, this is this is great. Uh, you know, where where do you see the future in terms of of uh, both both listening and but also measuring and understanding the the consumption of of radio. You know, I think they, you know, Arbitron and then when Arbitron sold to Nielsen, they created these meters that listen for these inaudible tones. And that's how they're, they're you know, they're, your dogs can hear this, but you can't hear these inaudible, you know, sort of audio marks that help you to know that this is the station that's, you know, WVXU. So every station is transmitting an inaudible tone. Yes, it sounds big brotherish, but that's that that watermark or that audio mark is what's picked up by the meters, and it's oral based. Uh, so as long as you can hear it, the meter can pick pick it up, and then they use that information to form. Okay, what was he or she listening at that moment, and then they build the ratings based on that. I think that's it's. That actually, one of the reasons Nielsen bought Arbitron was so they could do that for other audio sources, out of home TV, right. you know, the streaming, uh, podcasting, anywhere you can insert a, a unique code, an inaudible code, those meters can pick it up. So that could be the future. Um, there's also a lot of other, you know, data right now, like with Google TV. If you have Google TV, you're opting into having Nielsen collect that data based oh, on what your oh, phone is tagged does, in. Does phone ratings have the same, you know, when they started the people meter on television and you would walk into a room, a lot of times the curtains would be waving or a dog would walk in the room <laughs> and they would do, is there a similar type thing in the radio? Uh, no, 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 not that I know of at least. Um, there's nothing that, that has that kind of similar quality. Very good. Uh, Trip, thanks. That's all the time we have for uh, in our conversation today. We really appreciate you joining us today. Okay. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. Stay tuned and keep following us on Twitter or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.